Alright, good morning. I love our fellowship. It was great to have the teens welcome us. The marrieds give us the communion. Thanks so much, John, for that. And this weekend, our singles, some of them will head to Brisbane for the singles retreat over there. And on that note, one of our brothers who used to live here, Jordan King. You guys remember Jordan King. He's now dating one of the sisters. Yes way. It's true. Really, bro. There is a God. So very encouraging. He's dating Nicola, who's in Melbourne. So just started last night, I believe. He sent me a text this morning and said, by the way, I'm dating. That's super cool. That's awesome. So praise God for that. Today is a very inspiring day and a refreshing day. At the end of service, we'll have two people restored to our fellowship, which is really exciting. So Abby Lash, who's back there, if you could stand up, bro, he'll come up and he'll be restored to, to our community. And also Teresa, who's here as well, she'll be restored, which, which will be awesome. And then we'll sing a song, collect our kids, and then we'll come up for a baptism, which is really exciting. So Karishma, where is, where is, there she is, yeah. So she'll get baptized. So what, what a cool day to have and celebrate. That, that's going to be awesome. So lots of things going on. And then if, if you don't mind um, joining with me in a quick prayer, Tina had a cousin who this week, in the past couple weeks, has lost both her mom and her son, uh, which is very tragic. So we want to pray for the, the Josephs and their family. And then we'll turn to the scriptures and we'll have a lesson for this morning. Father, we are grateful that that scripture that was read in the welcome is is very appropriate. You are the God of all comfort. And we pray that those of us who have personally received comfort from you and the scriptures in the church at this time, can we, we come to you to really pray for Tina's cousin and the tragic loss of her family members. God, that's unthinkable. And Father, we pray that at this moment that you'll give her extra peace, extra faith, extra energy, God, and, and that you'll use Ramal and Tina to really help out in, in any way they can, and, and for us as a church to really be prayerful and mindful of her cousin and her family, that we can bring them to you. We know that you are the God of all comfort. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Also going on this week on Wednesday, I'll have a, a little bit of a surgery on my ear to repair my hearing. So my left ear, I'll go into the hospital on Wednesday. They'll do a little something-something in there. Hopefully it all works out. The end result is I hear a lot better or I don't hear at all. Pray for the former. Pray for the former. You hear me? Yeah. Amen. If you've spent enough time with me at some point, you know that I have to add. Can you speak up a little bit, bro? And Megan, for sure, has experienced that. So, amen. It'll all be good. I'll be able to hopefully speak next Sunday. But in case I don't, I've asked to back up Scott Cushman to be ready, just in case I'm a little bit woozy. And uh, amen. So, one of the privileges of being a parent, if, if you're a parent, is observing your kid's attitude during mealtime. <laughs> It's a privilege. It's a great privilege. And on Monday, all the kids love pasta. Right? But on Friday, no one likes pasta. The kids. So from day to day, their attitudes toward food magically change. On Tuesday, all the kids eat and love their broccoli. But on Saturday, no one touches the broccoli. And the response is something like, uh, I don't like pasta, but you just ate it on Monday. 
I don't like broccoli. You just ate it the other day, but their moods change from day to day. And it doesn't matter what day of the week it is, they always like dessert, though. That is true. But it fascinates me how from one day to the next, their likes and dislikes shift and change based on food. Today, I love it. Tomorrow, I will not eat it. And I believe that this concept isn't just with our kids and dinner time, but it's with all of us who are human. There's a fickleness about us. Several months ago, I researched and read and studied and said, I need to have this surgery on my ear so I can hear better. But as it gets closer to the surgery date, I think I'm actually hearing a bit better now. I think it's improving. I don't know. It's like, what? But I think you find it in your own life too. Where from day to day, you'll believe firmly on something or throughout life stages, you have this belief and then, oh, maybe not so much so in the case. That's a part of human nature that sometimes we're fickle. And we see that in the Bible as well. So what are we to do about this fickleness in our nature? Well, the the Bible has solutions and answers for us. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. We'll read some verses and look at three points about how to deal with this. Because it's in all of us who are human. And you're human and I'm human. It's in all of us. But there is a solution to that. And the Bible says the solution is Jesus. And that's not overly simplistic. We'll explain it as we read through the text this morning. Starting in Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. We're looking through the book of Galatians. Once we read it, I'll do a quick recap and explain what's going on. So if you have, if this is your first Sunday, you'll be able to catch up and take something away today, even if you haven't read through the book of Galatians. In verse 8, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who were by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. This is the Apostle Paul, the chief church planter, saying, I might have wasted my efforts because you're kind of alternating back and forth. And then verse 12, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. What does that mean? Paul was once Jewish. He followed the law, but he was set free from the law when he was introduced to Christ. He's saying, look, I I thought the law gave me power. Become like me. I was set free as well. And in verse 13, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. How about that for a welcome? In verse 15, where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. That's crazy. Have I now become your enemy by telling 
you the truth. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And all the women say, like, yeah, right, Paul. Like, yeah, really. Verse 20, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. And that ends our passage this morning. The overall flavor of Galatians, Paul and Barnabas have planted the church. They've gone away. Some new teachers have come in and offered new teaching. And it's pitted the church against Paul. He's trying to win back his family. He's trying to win back his congregation. And he does so by offering lots of theological proofs. Lots of scripture, but here you see his emotion. Brothers and sisters, my dear children, he's using the full repertoire to try to gain his church back. Why? They're fickle. One day they love Paul, the next they hate him. One day they're free from the gospel, the next day they want to go back to slavery. Three points this morning about our own fickleness. First, we're fickle toward God. Second, we're fickle toward others. And thirdly, Jesus fixes fickle. Say that three times and you'll be good. So first of all, let's talk about how we're fickle with God. In verses 8 through 11, Paul describes their condition before they became Christians. In verse 8, formerly, when you did not know God. What were you like? That's what he's kind of getting across here. You were... Slaves. He says that a few times. He says it in verse 9. It, those forces enslaved you. And he also says it in verse 8. You were slaves. And so, Paul and Barnabas visit this church. They preach the gospel. People respond. They become Christians. They're free. That's verses 1 through 5 of this text, where they're children of God now. Paul and Barnabas are excited. They've got the gospel. They've understood it. They're free. They're excited. Paul and Barnabas leave the region of Galatia. Other teachers come in with a different message. In verse 10, they say, yeah, you're free, but you need to observe certain things in order to really fully live out the gospel. You need to, in verse 10, observe special days, special months, special seasons, and special years. And then when you do so, you'll really be accepted by God. And then the next step is circumcision for them. That's kind of their whole big argument. This church hasn't been circumcised yet. And they're coming in and saying, you guys, you've been free from the gospel. But to really live it out, you need to follow these traditions. You need to be circumcised. Chapter 5, verse 2 says they haven't been yet. But these teachers are trying to get them to that point. And as a result, they've started to turn back to the law. And Paul is baffled. And this, this isn't a new phenomenon in Scripture. If, if you know some of the Old Testament, or if you don't know, Israel was enslaved by Egypt. The moment they get out of their slavery, they're basically saying... We were better off as slaves. 
Like the moment they leave, they start grumbling and say, why, basically, why did you free us? We were better off as slaves. Who in their right mind would ever make such a statement? But that's, that's a human condition. We are fickle. And what's critical to understand is in verse 10, Paul says, you're observing these special days and all this kind of stuff. But in verse 9, rather, he says, these forces that you're turning back to, they are weak and they are miserable. See, you think that if you observe these days and months and years, and if you do this and that, that will actually give you freedom. But what's actually happening is it's enslaving you. It's enslaving you. What you're turning back to has no power to free you. So the Galatian region is in this dilemma. They've been freed, but now they're kind of tempted to go back and be enslaved by the law. Because of their fickle nature, they're willing to turn their backs on God. Now, this, this same kind of concept happens in physiology. So, what happens with, with our brain in terms of addiction is when you engage in some kind of activity that's pleasurable, say, you pick it, gambling, shopping, drugs, sex, any of those things, when you engage in them kind of at a higher level, what it starts to do in your brain is it starts to kind of shock it and set it off. In other words, it, it makes your brain understand this is good, this is pleasurable. All right, so this is some neuroimaging that happens when this kind of activity takes place in your, in your brain. And then after a while, your brain kind of gets used to that kind of stuff, and it no longer shocks the system, so now you need more shock to your brain. And so that's the whole cycle of an addiction. It, do, it doesn't do anything for you anymore. So you need more and you need more. Now the irony is you, you do these things, whether it's I need to gamble some more or I need to shop some more or I need to abuse drugs more or I need to look at pornography more. You think that those things bring temporary fulfillment, but what they're doing is in the long term, they're enslaving you. Yeah. They're making you an addict. That's what the Latin word addiction means. It means to be enslaved, to be in bondage. And so the, the things you think are bringing you fulfillment actually make you a slave. Yeah. And it's the same thing that happens spiritually. If you're a disciple of Jesus, it's not likely that you and I are contemplating going back to observing the law. I don't hear any discussions in the fellowship after church saying, you know, I really think we need to bring back the Ten Commandments, Gillen. <laughs> you know, the laws in Leviticus about mildew and mold, I really think we need to reinstitute those. Fascinating reading, by the way. But nobody said, I think we need to go back. But, but, but because we're fickle, sometimes we do turn back to things that we think bring us freedom. Yeah. And one of them might be a sense of religion where we think if we do this, that, and the other, that will make us free. But those things enslave us. One of the big things, if you read through the New Testament, there's a lot of things that kind of dominate what enslaves us. One of them would be sexual purity. When you become a disciple of Jesus, you have the capability to be set free from anything that enslaves you in terms of sexual purity. However, at times when we're fickle and we kind of wonder if we're really free, we might be tempted to think, but I really did get some temporary fulfillment by looking at the internet. I really did get some temporary fulfillment by lusting after the opposite sex. And the more you engage, the more you crave. The more you crave, the more you get addicted. The more you get addicted, you're a slave all over again. 
And Paul's saying, don't turn back to those weak and miserable forces. It satisfies for the moment, but enslaves for the long term. Or one of the things that dominates Jesus' teaching, if you look at it, is money. He says it has the power to become your master. It's one of the bigger challenges of being a disciple. In our fickle nature sometimes, we think, if I had more money, it'll solve my stress. If I have more money, it'll alleviate my pressure. If I have more money, it'll make me and my family happy. The more you think about money, the more you crave money. The more you allow money to dictate your work schedule. Until it becomes, you need more, and then you're more invested in work and money than in God and in His kingdom. You think it's going to bring you happiness, but it makes you a slave to money. Or you pick it, really. If, if we're disciples of Jesus, there are things we're tempted to go back and think, yeah, it does kind of bring a little bit of fulfillment. Paul says those are weak and miserable. To be honest, everything you pursue outside of God is a sham. Everything. It offers fulfillment, but actually enslaves. And as our Christian life, there's always a, a gravitational pull to get you to go back to being enslaved. But the Holy Spirit gives us the freedom to be free. Now, if you're not a Christian, I'd like for you to consider this statement about the Bible. It claims everyone is a slave to sin. Now, if, if, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's quite a radical and confronting claim. That we're all slaves to sin. I, I think it's a claim worthy of investigation, in fact. If the Bible says I'm a slave to sin, I, 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 I should look that up and see, is this true about my life? And if so, how can I break free? And if you don't think it's true, if you're a man, try not to lust or get angry or lie for one month. Try it. Journal your process and see how that goes. And you will find, I can't stop doing these things. If you're a woman, try not to worry or envy or gossip or whatever for one month. And see if you're capable of doing it. We are not capable of doing that. What the Bible says is true, and I'd encourage you to investigate that. We can't overcome this by sheer willpower. We can only overcome it by turning to Jesus. We are fickle with God. We're also fickle with one another. In verses 12 through 16, Paul describes this truth. In verse 12, I plead with you, become like me. And then verse 13 and 14, you you gave me a, a good reception when I first turned up. In fact, you welcomed me as if I was a flat out angel. Or even more, as if I was Jesus himself. I've never experienced anything like that, okay? But, Paul, that was a great sermon. That was a great Bible study. Man, great preaching. Great job, Paul. Awesome, Paul. Well done. That's the reception when he first turns up. That's quite awesome. But he says in verse 13, as you know, it was an illness, because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Now, you can read lots of scholarly suggestions as, as to what his illness was. To, to name a few of them, some, some think that he, was, he had contracted malaria. There's a swamp region in southern Asia Minor, and as he's on his missionary journey, he goes there and gets malaria. And in Galatia, the region is a bit higher sea level, so maybe he goes up there. He's ill, and so when he comes to Galatia, he's sick, and he's kind of hard to deal with because he says in verse 13 my illness was a trial to you 
So that's one of the thoughts. Is he coming? He's sick. And, or uh, another thought that a lot of scholars think is he has a condition called ophthalmia, which that's what it looks like in an adult. It's an eye disease. And to support that, one of the things that they were willing to do when he first came is what? In verse 15, we'll tear out our eyes and give them to you. And other times in his letters, Paul says, see how big I'm writing these letters because I can't see, perhaps. That's not solid, but it's a theory. But imagine in in either of these cases, he turns up and he has malaria. Or he turns up and he looks like that. Or... One of the things that was suggested is he has epilepsy as well. And he's prone to seizures. In verse 14, it says, you do not treat me with contempt or scorn. That word scorn literally means you did not spit out. There's a belief that if you were epileptic and you spit, it would control the demon. Weird stuff, but that's what they thought. And so he says, you know, when I came, you didn't spit at me. And so there's a possibility maybe he was epileptic. Or maybe he had otosclerosis, which is a condition in your ear that makes you unable to hear and repaired by surgery. And it's a trial to some, isn't it, honey? Even still, they listen to him. Consider, I mean, just consider this. If this is what the Apostle Paul looked like. Now, from, from our sketches and when scholarly, the scholars put their portrait together, they don't get a pretty picture of Paul. And it's also interesting that Jesus says he wasn't really like fascinating to look at. And so, you know, imagine this guy turns up in your fellowship and says, you want to have a Bible study? You're like, no, nah, bro, that's okay, man. You go find someone else. So, hey, bro, can I encourage you? Can I admonish you? Or imagine there's a single brother and says, hey, sis, I'd like to take you on a date and encourage you. Like... No thanks, bro. But this, this is, you know, the, the point is that no matter what he looked like, no matter what was going on, they listened to his message. And they were fired up. And they welcomed him. Man, we, we'll welcome you as if you're Jesus. But later on in verse 15, he says, where's your blessing now? I mean, you rolled out the carpet, you brought out the champagne, everything was nice when I came and preached the gospel, and you welcomed me, you're an angel, you're Jesus, and now I've become your enemy, in verse 16. Why? Because he's trying to get them back on track, he's challenging them, he's telling them, hey look man, you're going back to slavery, and now they're offended because he's preaching the truth. How fickle and how foolish They are. How fickle and foolish we are as well. It's the same scenario when Jesus comes into town a week before the Passover. John chapter 12, he rides in on a donkey and the crowd gathers. They get branches and they shout what? Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! You're the king! You're awesome, Jesus! Hosanna! 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 That's John chapter 12. A week before the Passover, five days later, some of the same crowd says, crucify you. Crucify, crucify. How fickle and how foolish. Just earlier you were like so fired up and now you want to kill Jesus. 
I think we, we, we see this in our church life. You see this in regular life. But at first, we're grateful for people that study the Bible with us and help us. And they teach us. And then we become Christians. And then sometimes we have a few hard chats or a few challenging chats. And now we're the enemy. How fickle. How foolish. The truth is the truth. You, you, you can't just turn just because you don't like what they're saying. We see this in high school. You know, I was always trying to find the group to fit in. I'm loyal to this group until they tell me something or I hear something I don't like. Let me find another group I could be loyal to. When the drama happens, this is my best friend. But when, the, when something else happens, now he's not my friend or she's not my friend. That's how it is. In high school, in the employee-employer relationship, in the work world, the boss loves you when you're performing well. You turn up late one day and, oh man, you better never come back to work again. Or whatever it is, there's always these kind of alternating opinions because we are fickle with each other. And so if, if this is true about us, if this is what we're like, if this is who we are, what are we supposed to do about it? If we can't change it by sheer willpower. Well, Jesus fixes fickle. Verse 17 through 20. Paul says, these people are zealous to win you over, but it's really just they're trying to divide you and me. They're just trying to pit you. They're just trying to get their ego fed. They're really not concerned about you. You guys are like my children. Let me, let me plead with you. They're not sincere. I feel like a mother trying to give birth all over again. Verse 19. That's one of the strongest things he says. About his, his desire to see people get spiritual. And in verse 20 he says. I, I wish I could be with you to change my tone. I'm perplexed. The word he uses means. I don't know what to do anymore. I, I don't have anything left can't help you. I'm perplexed. I'm confused. I'm baffled. However, I'll keep striving to see Christ, what? Formed in you. So in this, in this, in this concept of Paul's ministry, he's not just satisfied Jesus is in them. He wants Jesus to be formed in them. And so we we see that in Paul, there's kind of an echo of Jesus and his stability. Because when the Galatians are fired up, Paul's helping them. When they're not fired up, he's still helping them. If he was fickle, he'd say, fine, you don't want to go figure it out on your own. But even at their worst, he's still pleading with them. He's still helping them. He's still pouring out his life and saying, you guys are my children and I want to help you. There's echoes of Jesus in that concept. That's the way Jesus was in his ministry. Look at Jesus and Peter. Peter goes from highs and lows and Jesus doesn't say, that's it, you blew it, game over. I still believe in you. When you return and get strong, help your brothers. Why? Because Jesus is the only one that can really fix the fickleness. Judas, the guy who eventually betrays Jesus. Jesus never changes his attitude. You never even know That he knows throughout the story of the gospel. He consistently loves him. Even at his worst. He gives him an offer. To turn. At the last supper. Jesus in Jerusalem. He cries I want to help you guys. Even though you're trying to crucify me. I'm not going to give up. Because Jesus is the only one that stays the same. 
Everyone else changes from Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday to Friday. Jesus is the only one that can fix that. This is what the scriptures say about Jesus in Hebrews, which is the ultimate... The ultimate story about Jesus, he is greater than everything. In chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus is not fickle. When you're at your best, he still loves you and sends you notes through a sandwich. When you're at your worst, he still loves you. It doesn't matter if it's yesterday, today, or forever. Jesus doesn't try to gain favor with people and and hear one side of an argument say, Wow, that's a really good point. Never thought about that. Let me change my attitude towards you. He doesn't go by a few days and and we treat him different or treat him worse. And we say, oh my goodness, now they're treating me badly. I will abandon them. He's the only one that stays the same forever. He doesn't swing back and forth. You and me, we're different people from day to day. We're different. All of our assessments, all of our judgments are always limited. We don't have the full picture. Jesus, because he has the full picture, remains the same. You want a life of stability? Let Christ be formed in you. That's that's Paul's ultimate goal. I know you guys are struggling, but here's the solution. Christ formed in you. That's the only way you'll stop being fickle. You follow Jesus and you let him be formed in you. If you're not a Christian, then that's also something to consider. We're all fickle. The only way to prevent that is by following Jesus and having him formed in you. If you're a disciple of Jesus, the question to think about for you this week is, are you letting other people help you get formed into the image of Christ? That's what Paul's trying to do here. And he does it with encouragement and he does it with admonishment. And a lot of teaching, but he's still trying to help people become more like Christ. And are you helping other people to become more and more like Christ? The end of the matter, I believe we all must realize and admit how unpredictable we are, how unstable we are, and how inconsistent we really are if we're honest with ourselves. And because of this nature, we constantly are changing our attitudes about God. And often tempted to go back to forms of slavery. And we often change our attitudes about people based on what day of the week it is. It's an endless cycle that leads to slavery. The solution is that Jesus fixes this. We have to understand with greater depth the life and the ministry of Jesus. He's the only one that doesn't change. Yesterday, today, and forever. He's the only one who offers true freedom. And Jesus is the only one who fixes fickle. Amen. Amen.